It was September 1974 when Dan Walsh, who would later become Champaign County Sheriff, was on patrol as an Urbana police officer. He was one of the first on the scene, a grisly scene. 25-year-old Classy Mae Ragland, a young mother, was found bleeding from multiple stab wounds on a porch in Urbana. She would later die. Some 45 years later, police are still stumped, still hoping someone comes forward with information that might solve this murder. In her latest Cold Cases podcast, News Gazette Media's Carol Varell talks to detectives, including Walsh, about where they're at with the case, what their hopes are in solving the case, and how much they want to provide closure for a distraught family. We'll be back with Carol's latest Cold Cases podcast after this. Hey, Jim Rosso, News Gazette Media Vice President, reminding you that we have a ton of podcasts available at newsgazette.com every day of the week, from Dave Gentry's Morning Show to Scott Beatty's News Hour to Brian Barnhart's Penny for Your Thoughts. Head to our website, newsgazette.com, and search for podcasts. The unsolved, brutal murder of Classy Mae Ragland still haunts retired Champaign County Sheriff Dan Walsh. Nearly 45 years since the young mother was attacked in September of 1974 at her home. Her baby boy sleeping nearby. Walsh, who was working as an Urbana patrol officer at the time, was among the first to arrive at the scene in the 1300 block of Eads. I participated in in other serious cases, but this is the first one, and maybe the only one where I was one of the first one or two on the scene. And I do remember telling Cassie that you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Don't worry. And obviously, I was wrong. So it's always bothered me. But tragically, she would not live more than a few hours. Up until then, the evening of September 14, 1974, was like so many other days. Classy May was at her Urbana home with her two-year-old son, Rodriguez. But yet, this night would be like no other. It would be the last night she would kiss her baby boy goodnight. It was just eight days short of her 26th birthday, which would have been on September 22nd, when someone went into her house and ended her life, her son asleep in a bedroom. The trail went cold long ago, and police are once again trying to pick up the pieces and determine who did this and why. Urbana Sergeant Mike Cervantes started reviewing the cold case as a detective before his recent promotion to sergeant and his move back into the patrol division. As he read the initial reports and reviewed the old evidence, he found that Classy May was described as a happy person. Family members did not want to talk about what happened to Classy May, and we weren't able to locate any photos of her. A 1974 News Gazette story had reported that Classy May had graduated from Central High School in 1967 and worked in the snack bar at the Illini Union for nearly seven years, until September 14, 1974, when something happened that would change everything for her son and her family. Sergeant Cervantes describes how the evening unfolded. She was seen by people in the neighborhood uh, earlier in the night that she was at her residence with her son uh, when she was killed and some other people had been at her her house earlier that had seen her 
around 4.30, uh, but the last known neighbor to, to have seen her was around 7.30. Next, around 9.30 that night, a call to police. That was her neighbor that called. So her neighbor called reporting that Classy May was on their front porch and she was bleeding. So officers responded and arrived uh, within two minutes. So different officers arrived. One of them was uh, Sheriff Walsh. At the time he was Officer Walsh and two other officers. Uh, and then within a, a short time after that, a U of I police officer arrived as well. So they find her uh, on the neighbor's front porch and she had been covered with a sheet. It looked like she had sustained several, what we later found out to be stab wounds. And then that is one of the things that Classy May, even in her last moments, was concerned about her son. She said that the baby is still in the house. Former Sheriff Walsh recalls his arrival as an Urbana patrol officer at the time. She was on the next door neighbor's porch. I think he had already covered her partially with a sheet. The next door neighbor was there. I don't remember if his wife was out on the porch or not. Uh, Mike Deniman and I and Corporal Russell Grabeel were the first three there. I don't remember the order that we arrived. I do remember asking her what happened, and she said something like, they broke in the door. It, was, it wasn't real clear. She wasn't real co coherent. I think Mickey and Mike Deniman stayed with her. Russ and I went back to her house, which was right next door. Once the ambulance got there, then Mike, Mike joined us, and we searched the premises uh, to see if the perpetrators were inside or, or what we could find. Um, there was no perpetrator that we found, but I did find the, the ladies. At the time, I guessed about a two-year-old son. He was asleep in one of the bedrooms, so I brought him out and turned him over to uh, a cousin who by that time had showed up. And the baby was not harmed. The baby was not harmed. I'm not even sure if the baby woke up when I, when I carried him out. He might not have. Her autopsy showed just how violent the attack on Classy May was. She died from uh, multiple stab wounds of the thorax and abdomen. Uh, so the hemorrhagic shock, basically her bleeding out, is what caused her death. So basically she bled to death. Yes. So. And if I remember right, there were 14 stab wounds that they found? At least 14. So different reports, varying reports, have, have had it up as, as high as 20, but there are at least 14 that we know of. Wow, that, that seems so violent for a burglary, doesn't it? It does seem excessive, but each case and each circumstances is unique. I don't want to go into too much as far as what I know about uh, her body and then the, as far as the other things uh, that we've discovered in the scene, um, just in case like, you know something comes forward of this or some information, some new information is revealed and somebody comes forward, there are some things that I, I'm not prepared to, to talk about. But I would agree that 14 stab wounds to anybody you know, seems excessive. Normally that's indicative of some type of personal relationship. Now, does that necessarily mean that there was a personal relationship here between the offender and, and uh, Classy May? I can't say that for certain, but there does seem to be a personal element with that many stab wounds. Or perhaps somebody being in, uh, affected by drugs. Very well, could Maybe. be, yeah. Mental illness, there's, there's all kinds of factors, and without knowing, you know, or having a witness that saw something or Classy May telling us something, you know, we, we, won't, we don't know that right now. Initially, police thought she was a victim of a burglary of her home due to what appeared to be forced entry to one of her doors. There were items that were removed from the house or it appeared to be uh, removed from the house uh, that were found on the front porch. And we thought at the time was, was forced entry. Some of that is questionable now, uh, given the reports that we've read. 
Uh, some of the damage may have been old, but some of the damage very likely could have been new. So, or the reports, at least that I've read, mm -hmm. um, there's there's conflicting things. But now, Sergeant Cervantes says it looks like there could be other possibilities behind the brutal attack. There were theories that were brought up over the years that this could have been a lover's triangle. Uh, there was some information that was brought to light later on, uh, several several years after. Uh, the initial report was taken, but that information didn't necessarily seem consistent with witness statements at the time or the scene. You got to remember, a lot of this I'm just reading in the police reports mm -hmm. after the fact, mm -hmm. so I can't I, I can't say for certain, but I can I can read between the lines on some things, and I can say that, that based on the reports that I read, some of that stuff was not consistent with the scene. Many questions remain. The file into the stabbing death of Classy Mae Raglan is small in comparison to many later homicide cases. Cervantes says it's still difficult to determine if more than one person was involved. As Sheriff Walsh remembers his last conversation with Classy Mae, he told me it was hard to understand her as she laid bleeding. Whether she said they broke in the door or she said he broke in the door. Neither Cervantes or Walsh are revealing any details about where it appears Classy May was actually attacked. What happened that night? And of course, the biggest mystery, who did this and why? And is the killer or killer still even alive? Classy May's family, including her son who resides out of state, are still living with the pain of what happened, wondering and seeking justice and closure. Very little information has trickled in since 1974. A very brief mention published in the News Gazette in 1990 quoted Sergeant John Lockard as saying Urbana police checked out some new information about the killing in 1982 or 83, but the case remained unsolved. Cervantes says the early 80s was the last time new information came forward in the case. One of the things, and I, and I can speak generally about this, is that anytime new information comes, especially if it's later on, there are there's a process that, that we as police officers have to go through to determine its reliability. And based on what I read, it didn't appear that that information came from a reliable source. That is partly what I was talking about, the new information coming in that didn't appear consistent with the scene at all, and the reliability of the person and the, uh, the statement that they gave seemed unreliable. And that's reading between the lines mm -hmm. in, in some of that. In the meantime, Classy May's case remained on Walsh's mind as he took over as sheriff in 2002. Uh, when, I, when I took office as sheriff, probably late 2002 or early 2003, I... I asked Urbana for a copy of the report and they gave it to me. And at that point I had been a lawyer for about 20 years and I had certain contacts uh, that, that were well tuned in to the north part of Urbana and the north part of Champaign. And I, one in particular, I told him if uh, you can dig up information enough to get an arrest, I'll give you 500 bucks or whoever you come up with, I'll give 500 bucks. I might even say 1000 at the time. Was he successful? In no, he, he, he made some inquiries. Uh, he didn't did not come up with anything specific. He did remember the case himself, but he has since passed. Walsh adds that if someone came up with information to help solve the case, he would still offer a cash reward. We'll continue the case of Classy Mae Raglan after this. Hi, Jim Rosso, Vice President of News at News Gazette Media. 
Hoping that you're enjoying Carol Varell's latest podcast. Her Cold Cases series has been popular with our audience. Wanted to let you know that uh, it takes time and resource and money to pull these things off. And would love to see you subscribe to the News Gazette, even if it's an online subscription. Head to our website, click on subscribe. If you're already a subscriber, thank you. And if not, uh, give some thought to joining in to help support what we do here, including Carol's podcast series. We'll get back to her latest project right now. It's been 45 years since Classy Mae Raglan was stabbed to death, and the passage of time presents unique challenges to police as they try to solve the case. Sergeant Cervantes. First uh, and foremost, the, the biggest challenge is finding people that are still alive that were involved in the case, and then the memory that comes along with those people. Over time, memories dissipate. So it is challenging in, in that aspect, but also in the evidence, um, and how the evidence was either uh, stored at the time or what testing was done on it at the time that may preclude us from doing future or from, from testing uh, that's available now. So uh, the first thing that I was interested in when, when I read this case in Sergeant Rivers' book was what evidence do we have? First I'd like to read the case file, but what evidence do we have that exists here? Um, so in the process of helping him edit the book, I saw this and he and I both, who had worked on the Maria Cleo case together and do it, you know, discussed it several times, but he is the one uh, that was with me and worked through the evidence audit. The most important thing to me was let's follow the physical evidence because one of, the, like I said, the biggest challenges is people's memory, getting statements from them. And in a case this old, are the witnesses, people that were involved still even alive. So the evidence, we can go back to the evidence and let the evidence speak for itself. And so uh, the challenge is finding the evidence, if, if the evidence still exists, uh, what evidence was collected, how was it tested, and can we examine that evidence to see if it can be retested or if it had never been tested, <laughs> tested now using the technology that exists. Can you talk at all about the kind of evidence that was collected at the scene? Like, were you able to collect fingerprints or...? I'm not willing to discuss the evidence that was, was taken from the scene, but I can tell you that there was some evidence that was very interesting to me and that I have had a, a discussion with the state police lab about about that evidence, and that's something I'm, I'm interested in pursuing to see what, if anything, they can, they can do with it. So the evidence that I, I was able to find from this case, uh, which took a couple of, of, of rounds of looking with people that have been here for several years, and, and, um, and I talked to John Lockhart about this years ago when I first read about it, um, and he, he thought the same thing. So we were able to find some evidence that may be fruitful. I, I, I'm always a bit pessimistic when it, when it comes to this, especially... Uh, with with my experience uh, in in other cases, but what does it hurt? I guess mm -hmm. to to try to take a look at it and see what what if anything they oh, can yeah. do with it. Um, so I I wouldn't I, sh I guess I shouldn't say pessimistic. I am not wanting to get the family's hopes up or anybody's hopes up. This case is so old um, that it it will be extremely difficult to get anything. So I I am more along the lines of if we send it and something good comes of it, great. At least we tried, and if not, I do not want to get anybody's hopes up. Ultimately, what we want in cases like this is justice for the family and, you know, some closure. And nothing's going to bring their loved ones back, but if we can say, hey, we've looked at it now using the information and the new technology, the advancements that exist uh, currently, 
then maybe it gives them some peace to say, okay, at least they've tried to look at it. They, they're, they're looking at other angles and, and so try to give them some, some closure at least. So can you say that the evidence has been or will be sent off to be examined using the new technologies such as DNA or genealogy or any of that kind of thing? I'm not willing to say what kind of evidence that we have, so I can't say that. I can say that I'm willing to, based on the conversation that I had with the lab tech, I'm willing to further discuss that with them, send them what I have, and see if what I have is suitable for further testing. I know this is evidence, but I haven't asked it yet. Was the the murder weapon or weapons recovered? I'm not willing to discuss that either right now. As you have heard, Sergeant Cervantes is reluctant to release too much information about the evidence. It's to protect the investigation. Uh, I think that one of the things that the public may lose sight of is the fact that police officers, we want to, we want to solve the case. We want to bring justice to the family. We want to give them that closure. And it's not that we don't, don't want to share information with the public. It's just so important that people understand that when they do listen to this stuff and when the police officers aren't willing to disclose certain details, it's because it's a, it's a tactical decision on our part that we may need that information to corroborate somebody's story later on or to discount it. If we shared everything that we had, you know, we wouldn't have that crucial information that we would need when it comes time to arrest and or interview somebody. And those details are important to us. And sometimes uh, I think that that can be misconstrued as that we're being stingy or we're withholding or we're not being transparent. It's a way for us to do a better investigation. Our ultimate goal is to solve the case, to get the information, and to listen to all, all sides of the story hopefully get the family set some closure in, in, in the process. So much has changed in the decades since Classy May was murdered. Police have so many more tools available to investigate crimes and gather evidence, technologies probably not even imagined at the time. I can tell you from the research that I've done, in, especially with DNA, that wasn't something that was even on the horizon or they were thinking about back in 74. At the time, fingerprints were what we would consider the best evidence then. It's like our DNA now. By sending things off back in, uh, in the 70s and even in the 80s, I know that we would send major case evidence to the FBI crime lab in, in Quantico. And that's uh, where I believe some of this evidence went. There were serology testing, um, so not to say that blood evidence uh, d didn't exist back then that could type blood um, but it was definitely not as advanced photographing even. I mean, when you look at like the photographs that we have here of the house, they're, they're black and white, they're Polaroids. We have digital cameras now that can do and, and pick up amazing things. We have video evidence now. So when we go to a scene, if there are people that are on a scene, we have our body cameras to pick up their statements to find out who was there. Looking at the way that they typed reports or hand wrote some some reports back then, I imagine how <laughs> how much more difficult that that and time consuming that could have been. Cell phones now. I mean, just think about how much information is on cell phones and tablets, and the ability that we have to go in and look at that data legally, of course, that can provide so much information and background. Walsh remembers working with the limited resources. Back then we, we canvassed the neighborhood just like you do now and we didn't come up with anything very usable at that point. 
some things, but not, not that I can go into. But everything is different nowadays. I mean, back then you didn't have security cameras where you could go to one of the neighbors and what was going on out on the street. Back then we used Polaroids. We did have a 35 millimeter, but you know you use that sparingly. Uh, nowadays, you got digital cameras. You take take 100, 200 pictures of the crime scene. And obviously, you know, one other big change now is is the DNA, and then the genetic tracing back lines, things that we never heard about back then. You know, you and I were talking. Uh, I thought I always had a a portable radio, even though it was big as a block of concrete. But just in looking through this to refresh my memory, I had to go back to the squad car to ask for additional units to keep the scene secure. Uh, so I don't think we had portable radios back then. But even with the advancements in technology and forensics, a key to breaking this case and any other case open relies on basic human nature, which hasn't changed. People talk. Somebody told somebody something. And my guess is that the offender who killed Classy May told somebody something at some point. And for whatever reason, that person has not come forward yet. I would hope that at some point somebody would share something uh, for the, the sake of the family and for her two-year-old son. And solving cases like the murder of Classy May Raglan also comes down to the basic information that only you can provide to police. I believe that there's somebody that has heard something over the years, and if that person is, is brave enough to come forward, there are family members that she has that would be, uh, that deserve closure. This, this case is 45 years old, and the family has went without answers uh, this entire time. Uh, so whether or not it's somebody that wants to come forward that has information about something that they heard or it's the killer himself or herself. If you do know something, you're urged to call Urbana Police at 217-384-2320 and ask for investigations. Or you can remain anonymous by calling Crime Stoppers at 373-TIPS. I hope I'm wrong, but with this great passage of time, it's possible that the people who did it, person or persons who did it, are deceased, and anybody who might have any knowledge may very well be deceased. That was a long time ago. Sooner or later, we're going to meet our maker, maybe, and uh, he's going to do it with as clean a conscience as he can. And if the person that, that, that did this has any doubts or, or questions of conscience, come forward and we'll be objective. We'll listen and think of your own family. Think of, you know, your friends. How would you want their memory honored, do the right thing, come forward. If you're old and you're on your deathbed and you need to get something off your chest, if that, you know, that person that did it is still out there and alive and listening, we'll listen to what you have to say. Tell somebody, tell something. Let's try to get some closure for this family. I'm Carol Varell.